Hey, it's Cody Woodard, pastor of Renovation Church in Gallatin, Tennessee. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. I hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you see that God wants to do something new in and through your life. Enjoy the message. So today I want to read from Matthew chapter 20. So we're going to spend the majority of our time. If you have a Bible, you can pull it out real quick while you're standing, or you can just follow along on the screen. Matthew chapter 20, I'm reading from the NLT version starting in verse 20. If you're ready to hear it, say yeah. It says, Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, In your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied. We're able. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or on my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten of the disciples heard what Jesus and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of this world lorded over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Somebody say different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life away as a ransom for many. Anybody thankful that Jesus was our ransom? as a ransom for many. So today to wrap up our I Declare War series, I titled this message after the great actor, Ricky Bobby. Turn to the person next to you and announce the title. If you ain't first, you're last. If you ain't first, you're last. Can I pray for you? Jesus, thank you for today. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we get to open it up Father, we know that that there's nothing I can say in my own accord that has any power. But God, that this Bible, this scripture that we've just read are your very words that you breathed. And so God, I, I pray today that you would remove distractions, that you would allow us to hear from you so that our lives can be changed and transformed, God, so that we can walk out different than when we come in. So, God, I pray that you would stand in my body, speak to my mouth the things you would have me say and for us to do. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Hey, give somebody a hug, a high five, a handshake, or a kiss. Well, welcome to Renovation Church. If I haven't got the opportunity to meet you yet, My name is Cody Woodard. I'm the lead pastor here. Um, We are honored that you would spend just about an hour of your time with us on a Sunday morning. Um, We like to have fun. We're a loud church. And so in this moment, in this next few moments, like if you feel like shouting me down and saying that's good, amen, you can turn to your neighbor and tell them that was for you. Or you can say that was for me. Um, You can say preach it white boy. You can do whatever you need to do. Um, But we are a loud church because we're excited about what God is doing here. Um, Last week, we celebrated five baptisms. Come on. Amazing. Every single week, we have seen people 
give their life to Jesus last week, even though we just served, we, we, we baptized five people, there were two or three more who, who gave their life to Jesus for the very first time that we're going to get to celebrate them in baptism here in the next few weeks. And so we're just fired up. And we believe that God is moving in this place. And so today I just want to encourage you to lean in. I think God's got a word for you. Um, I know he's had a word for me. And so if you ain't first, you're last. If you ain't first, you're last. Thank you, Kyle. Appreciate you, man. If, um, you know, I got this title from a movie that I do not suggest that you watch if you are saved because this is not a Christian movie. Uh, I watched it in my BC days, my before Christ days. And, um, and there's this scene really where Ricky Bobby is at the, uh, in class, and it's career day. And his dad hadn't seen him in like 10 years and pops in and kind of says some couple things and gets thrown out and then says the famous quote, if you ain't first, you're last. Y'all remember career day? Do they still do that, by the way? You remember? Okay, they still got career day. I remember career day. I really wasn't interested in it because, you know, career day is when the parent comes in and they get up in, the, in front of the entire class and then they like publicly lie to you and all your friends about how great their job is and how they love it, you know. And I really didn't pay attention in career day because I already knew what I wanted to be. Um, I wanted to be the goat, not like a goat. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? The goat. Teenagers know what I'm talking about. The greatest of all time. That's right. And when I say I wanted to be the goat, I wanted to be like Mike, Michael Jordan, the goat. Not LeBron, not Kobe, Michael. End of discussion. Somebody's already like, preach it. That's it. Um, I wanted to be the goat. And I wanted to be great. And, and I, I just remember thinking, like, one day I'm going to be six foot six. I'm going to be dunking on people. I'm going to be in the NBA. I'm going to make millions of dollars. And as you can see, I made it. Come on. No, um, let me, let's do this. Uh, turn to the person next to you, and, and I, want you to, I want you to tell them what it is that, like, what did you want to be when you were a kid? Tell them what you wanted to be when you were a kid. Turn to the person next to you. Tell them. What did you want to be when you were a kid? Turn to your second choice, your second neighbor. Awesome. How many of you, by a show of hands, you are what you wanted to be when you were a little kid? Anybody? Come on. Good for you. Well, I'm not an NBA player. I'm a pastor. There's a little bit of a difference, and I'm not 6'6". Six, six. Um, I'm six foot, and uh, yeah, cannot jump. So, um, but you know, it's funny. I think some people, when they, they, they're little, and they're like, I want to be, you know, an astronaut, or I want to be a... Uh, an NBA player, or I want to be a doctor, or I want to be a cop, or I want to be a fireman, right? We have all of these careers, and, and whether, you, whether you are what you wanted to be when you were a kid, that changes, and for whatever reason, you may or may not be, but, um, you know, I really wasn't a fan of career day because there was no NBA players in Gladeville, Tennessee, okay? It was just like my dad talking about Nabisco, you know? Wasn't, wasn't my thing, right? Uh, love Nabisco. Come on, Oreos all the way. But, um, you know, really, this, this idea, though, of us wanting to be great um, is not really a new idea. You know, there was a study done um, a couple years ago to thousands and thousands of teenagers, and they asked them that question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And what they found was 54% of teenagers said they wanted to be a celebrity. Imagine that. Out of that 54%, over a third of them said that they wanted to be a professional YouTuber. Now, a professional YouTuber, and so here's the deal, like before you hate, okay, before you hate on this next generation and the YouTube and all that kind of stuff, I just want to tell you about Ryan. Ryan is an eight-year-old, and last year, what Ryan did was he played with toys on YouTube, and he reviewed toys on YouTube, and guess what? Ryan made $22 million last year. Some of you need to change your profession. <laughs> like, I can do that, right? It's like he has over 300 billion views on YouTube as an eight-year-old. 
Like, that's four times as many people that are in the world. That's all of us watching his video four times. Like, professional YouTuber, right? There's this thing in society, right, in, in our culture, that just, that we want to be great. That we want to be people of influence. That we want to feel like we can make a difference and that we can matter and that we can impact people. And, and, and so no matter who you are, like all of us, there's this deep desire in us to want to be great, right? To want to win, to, to be really good at your job and, and to be good and use the gifts God has given you. And there, we want to be great parents, right? Like we want things that are, that are great. We don't want to just settle for, for average, right? Ladies, it's like when you got a party to go to, an office party, and you go into the store, you don't walk into the department store and ask, hey, where's your average dress, right? You ask for where's the best dress. It's when you go to a new restaurant, you don't walk in and go, hey, what's the most average thing on your menu, you know? No, you go, hey, I want the best thing in your menu. Why? Because there's something inside of all of us that desires to be great, to want to win. None of us wake up every day going, I just want to be mediocre in life and lose, right? None of us say that. And so here's the deal. Like, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with ambition or anything wrong with wanting to be great. I just think that for many of us, our definition of greatness needs to be redefined. Our definition of how to become great needs to be Changed, And so the context of this passage I just read you in Matthew 20 can be found earlier in the book of Matthew, but I want to read to you really quick just from um, the book of Mark. And this is just kind of a, like the, the setup for the passage we just read in Mark 9. Here's what it says. It says that they came to Capernaum when he was in the house. He asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest, the goat. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and servant of all. See, Jesus has this way of constantly redefining what our path, like almost like a GPS. He redirects the path to what greatness looks like. And here are those disciples. They're on a road, right? They're, they're headed from Galilee to Capernaum, and, and they're having this discussion, this debate about who's the greatest, and it's interesting because they're having this discussion about who's the greatest right around the greatest, the goat. And what had happened before this, they, they had this moment when they were traveling, Jesus predicted his death for the second time. He told them, um, boys, he says, I want to spend some time with you. And they go on this trip with him. And, and, and he says, boys, here's the deal. Um, I'm about to be betrayed, flogged, beaten, hung on a cross. I'm going to die, be buried in a tomb. And three days later, I'm going to raise from the grave. And it's like, can you imagine being there? Be like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, I'm following you, and you, you, you're going you're gonna to do what? You're going to die, and then you're going to rise from the grave. And in this moment, right after he tells them that, they get in this just really, like, dumb debate. Right, like, who's the goat, you know? Me or you? Right, you ever been in one of those, like, on a road trip where uh, you just fought with your siblings the whole time? Anybody? I remember as a kid, we used to take this road trip from Panama or from here down to Panama City. It's like the place to go if you're from Tennessee. Anybody been to Panama City? Come on, there we go. And so I remember though, like back in the day, there weren't no like nice minivans like some of y'all drive, okay? There weren't no DVD players, none of that. There was a tape player, all right? And you listened to what your dad wanted to listen to, okay? Or you listened to like the radio with commercials. And, and so I didn't know anything about what some of y'all, you know, do with trips. There were no, we didn't fly on planes. We didn't have that kind of money. See, our minivan, it was white. 
The tent was peeling off. The headliner was held up by thumbtacks, and it smelled like McDonald's, Taco Bell, dirty feet, and some cigarette smoke. That was our vacation. And I just remember, like, every time we took a trip, within, like, minutes, not even out of the neighborhood, we were already fighting about something dumb. Because we were excited, but, like, we hated having to do the drive. You know, we started fighting about something dumb. And, like, my dad, when he would hear us fight, he's like, I'm going to turn this car around right now, you know, start swinging back, you know. Some of you are like, that's child abuse. Well, that was how we grew up, okay? We didn't get grounded for, like, a day from our phone, all right? We didn't even have a phone. We had beepers, all right? Pagers. But, like, dad would just be swinging in the back and, and we would hate it. And then we would ask the most annoying question that every kid asks on a road trip. Are we, are we there yet? Like every hour, are we there yet? Dad, are we there yet? No, 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 we're not there yet. And, and it's funny because like this question, are we there yet? I think it comes from this, that like we love the idea of getting to the destination, but we just don't like the idea of driving it. We love the idea of being at the destination. We just hate to drive. We love the idea of living out the purpose God has for us. We just don't like the process in order to do it, right? Like, we, we don't love the drive. And what happens on these drives is we start talking about stupid stuff that don't even matter, right? Like, they're talking about who, who's the greatest. It doesn't even matter. Neither. You're not great. Jesus is great. But we just talk about the dumbest stuff on these trips, right? Because we love the destination but hate the drive. And, like, Christians are notorious for this. Like, pastors are notorious for this. Let me break it down. Like, a couple weeks ago, or a little while ago, I guess, um, I went to this conference, and uh, I was hanging out with another pastor. And we started talking, and we were kind of talking through, like, you know, the differences in our churches and the similarities and kind of what are the things, like, what's the culture? What are, you know, what are you about? What are you for? What are you against? And, and then he, like, he kind of made this comment that just kind of, like, stuck with me a little bit. And he said, like, well, what's your eschatology, you know? And he's like, well, what's your belief about? the end times, about the rapture? You know, are you post-millennial or pre-millennial or all-millennial? Are you, are you a Calvinist? Are you an Arminian? Like, I can't really check out from your website. I'm like, bro, like, I'm just trying to get my kid back at home from daycare. Right? Like, I, not that, listen, I, I'm all for sound doctrine and good theology, right? But so oftentimes, like, in the destination called faith, in the destination called life, we just get to fighting and arguing and getting divided over dumb stuff. Like, if I'm going to fight for something, I'm going to fight for the people in my community that don't know Jesus. If I'm going to fight for people, like, I'm going to fight for people whose homes are broken and kids that don't have a dad. If I'm going to fight for people, it's going to be people who, who are addicted and they feel lonely and they feel isolated and they don't have hope. I'm going to fight for them. Like, we're going to be a church that's for people. That's why we say people is our passion. Like, if I'm going to fight for something, I'm going to make sure that when my head hits my pillow every night, that people in my life have heard about the Jesus Christ that I know. Amen? So like if we're going to fight for something, like don't get caught in the process because you're frustrated that you're not where you want to be. And so we have these like conversations and we get on Facebook and we have all these dumb conversations and fight about things that Jesus didn't even make a big deal about. Let me just say this to you, like stop fighting about stuff that Jesus didn't make a, didn't make a big deal about. Stop fighting about stuff and letting it divide you over something that is so non-essential. That wasn't the point. But this is what we do when we're in the process. But I want you to notice something about this passage. That when James and John, when they are asking this question, who's the greatest? Right? Jesus, I want you to just notice his response. Jesus doesn't rebuke them for their ambition. He redefines what greatness is. 
Jesus didn't rebuke them for wanting to be great. Jesus just redefined. He rerouted what greatness is. And so he says this. He says that anyone who wants to be first must be very last and the servant of all. That in the world, if you ain't first, you're last. But in the kingdom, the last is first. Then the world, it's get to the top. If you ain't first, you're last. But in the kingdom, it's if you are first, you're last. That it's this idea of serving. And it's this culture that Jesus is trying to establish and let them know about. And so if you're taking notes and you want to write this down, here's the first thing you need to understand about what we call servant leadership. It's this new idea. It's this this kingdom flip that Jesus brings in. He says, listen, listen, it's not about you becoming great. It's not about you rising to the top. That if you want to be great, if you want to have influence, that the least of these, that the one who humbles themselves will be exalted and the one who exalts himself will be humbled. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. Leaders serve. Real simple, but difficult to do. That leaders serve. And see, this isn't just like a renovation culture thing. One of our values here is that servant leadership is our identity. And I tell people all the time, like, we, we expect you to serve. And, and the reason why I'm going to get into it in a little bit, but essentially because as a Christian, as a Jesus follower, um, Jesus doesn't call you to promote yourself. He calls you to deny yourself. And, and so he says this idea of if you want to have influence, because you do, it's by serving, that leaders serve, and that serving is leading. And until you are willing to serve, you're not ready to lead. I want to write that down. Until you're willing to serve, you're not ready to lead. I remember when this shook me for the first time. I remember when about um, a little over a year ago, about a year and a half ago, um, I was a pastor at a church in downtown Nashville, and I was having a conversation with our lead pastor, and he set me down, and he said, Cody, I just want you to be honest with me. He said, do you trust me? And I said, well, of course I trust you. He said, you sure? And I said, man, I wouldn't be here if I didn't trust you. He said, okay, um, what do you believe God's calling you to do? Essentially, what do you want to be when you grow up? If you could do one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? And I knew why he was asking me, and I was tempted to not trust him, but I said, I'm just going to be honest with you. It may cost me my job, but I believe that God's calling me to start a church. And I don't know if that's with you or without you, but I just know it's what God's calling me to do. And he said, I I believe in you. And so here's what I want to do. I want to promote you. He said, I want to give you another title. I want to give you some more authority. I want to give you some more responsibility to lead the people around you. And so I'm going to promote you from student pastor to, to campus director. And, man, when I heard that, I was so fired up. I was so excited to get to, to lead and kind of spread my leadership wings, you know, and love all my people, you know. And I was super fired up and, and, and because I heard this opportunity that was placed in front of me of authority, of responsibility, of influence. And then two weeks later, I found myself more frustrated than ever before. Because two weeks later, I found myself out in the parking lot in the pouring rain on February 11th, 2018, in my Chelsea boots that were ruined, by the way. And I was just out there just waving a wand. And I was like, what, what is this? He, he gave me a promotion. He made me the campus director. And now I'm in the parking lot. And I learned something that day. 
God kind of put it in my heart and put it in my spirit. It was almost one of those moments where it was just audible. And here's what God said to me, and here's what I wanted to say to some of you. He said, Cody, until you're willing to serve in the parking lot, you're not ready to preach in the pulpit. That until you're willing to serve, you're not ready to lead. Because leading is serving. That a leader doesn't lord their authority over people, he lifts them up through serving. And I remember when I got that, it just changed for me. And I, did, I no longer saw the parking lot as a wasted season. I knew that God was going to use it to prepare me to be more than just a good speaker and preacher. He was going to prepare me on actually how to pastor, on how to love people. And that parking lot team, y'all, if, you if you've ever been to that church and you saw our parking lot team, it was a party. I ain't playing. I would be out there just smiling, whipping the thing, like, come on, doing spin moves. And we was getting it, okay? We would pet parking lot party. In fact, here's a picture of us um, after the rain that day. Where's it at? Let's see. Boom, there it is. My crew, February. You see, ain't no leaves on the tree, soaking wet, weird. But you know what? It was the best time in ministry in my life that when I look back from the age of 22 years old, I had the most fun when I realized that God was calling me not just to be a leader at the top, but to serve. And it shifted. And so leaders serve. Turn to the person next to you and say, leaders serve. Leaders serve. And so back to our story. They continue traveling, and they're headed towards Jerusalem. And Jesus is teaching them in parables, and he's teaching them about who they are and what he's calling them to and what they should do and what they shouldn't do. And he's teaching them all these things. And then Jesus predicts his death for the third time. He sits them down and he tells them, guys, I've told you this before, but I want you to know as we head to Jerusalem that they may accept me initially, but they're going to reject me, they're going to flog me, they're going to beat me, and they're going to hang me on the cross. And I'm going to die, but I'm not staying there. Three days later, I'm coming back. And then that brings us to Matthew chapter 20. That's the context of this story. And here's what it says in Matthew 20. I'm going to read it again. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. And so again, he he tells them he's about to die, and it says, then. When? Then. Immediately. Right after Jesus says, I'm going to go die on the cross and be raised from the dead, immediately, James and John send their mom. Just a like, side note, like if you want a promotion, don't send your mommy to talk. All right? It's interesting because like all the other gospels, all the gospels have this story written in it, except for John. Because John probably didn't want to write down the story about the time he had his mama come and fight his battles. Right? It's like they have this moment and they're begging. And she's saying, hey, can my son sit to the right or to the left? And Jesus says, listen, that's not for mine to grant. He says, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Yes, they replied, we're able. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup. But I have no right to say he will sit on my right or left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. If you're taking notes, write the second point down. That you are positioned on purpose. That you are positioned on 
purpose and for a purpose. That the season you are in right now is not by accident. That everyone has influence on someone. Did you know that? That everyone in this room has influence on someone. That the season you're in may feel meaningless to you. The job you're working at may seem pointless. You may be exhausted. You may be tired. But God never wastes a season. That the season you're in now, God is using to teach you some things in the parking lot. That he's trying to prepare you for the purpose he has set for you. That he's wanting to teach you some things in this season, and so don't miss it. And what oftentimes you and I do is we become so fixated on the future that we neglect the present. That we become so worried about what's my next move that you neglect your move now. You tracking with me? And so what we'll do is we get caught up in the process. We start arguing and we start focusing on things that don't matter. And we become so consumed with the future that we neglect our present. And see, here's the deal. We live in this culture where we, we live in an insta culture, don't we? We're like everything wants to be out front. Everybody wants to be on the platform. Teenagers want to become famous. They want to get on stage. They want to be seen. They want to be noticed. They want to have influence. And that's great as long as you understand what leadership and influence are about. And it's not you. Your influence in life, the influence you have over other people, the gifts God has given you aren't to build your own kingdom, but to be generous and build his. And so what tends to happen in this insta culture is like we don't want to wait on nothing. That's why we love Chick-fil-A. Come on. That's why we don't like Popeyes, you know? It takes too long. No, we want this insta-culture. We don't want to slow cook nothing. We want insta-pot, right? Like we don't want to have, we want, we want ribs, but we want them falling off the bone, insta-pot, let's go. We want insta-pot. We want instant gram. Like we want instant gratification really is what it's called. Like we want to be able to post stuff in hopes that people will like it so many times that makes us feel valued. We want the instant gratification knowing that I'm accepted by people I barely know. And so we'll spend all of our time building our following online but neglect to have friends offline. And what happens is, is then we start treating God like he's an insta-God. You see how that works? It's insta-culture. It's insta-pot. It's Instagram. It's insta-gratification. Now it's insta-God because now I get, I get frustrated when God doesn't do what I want him to do when I want him to do it. And we got to learn how to sit in the season we are knowing that God has a purpose and a plan in the process. That we don't have to just focus on what could be or what's next. That God has a purpose for your life now. That you were designed uniquely on purpose and for purpose. That you were created for more than just you. And do you know what happens when you and I try to self-promote ourselves into a different place of authority? Like when we try to self-promote and we try to manipulate and have conversations to get what we think we should get and what we've earned. Here's what my pastor told me. He said, Cody, if you have to manipulate your way into the seat to get it, you'll have to manipulate people to keep it. That it, if you have to manipulate your way to the top, you're going to have to manipulate people to stay at the top. And what we see so often in this insta world is we see people being promoted for a gift but don't have the characters to sustain it. 
They can get on a platform and look really cool and, and, and woo you and make you feel good. And the problem is, is who they are on the stage isn't the same person they are off the stage because they never took the time to develop their character and their integrity and build it on a firm foundation. Instead, they built it on the affirmation of everyone else. Am I lying? Isn't that how it works? So here's the deal. Leading is serving. Leading is serving, and you are positioned on purpose. Positioned on purpose. And so the question isn't, do you have influence? The question is, what are you doing with it? The question isn't if you have influence. We all have influence. If you're a dad, you have influence. If you're a mom, you have influence. If you're a child, you have influence. If you're a teenager, you have influence. Everybody in here, if you are breathing, you have influence around you. Even if you go out and build a cabin in the woods and try to live off of, you know, fishing and bees and honey and all kinds of stuff, you still got influence because now you just isolated yourself away from your family and now they've been influenced by it. We all have influence. And so the question is, is how are you using your influence? Because God actually wants to do something in you and through you. It's not like the Gentiles, as Jesus says, that lord their leadership over people. Because here's the reality. If you're not willing to serve without a title, you can't lead with one. Because you'll just lord it over them. Anytime something gets uncomfortable, anytime that you, you don't like something, you'll just pull the card and go, I'm in charge. If you got to tell people you're in charge, you ain't in charge. If you got to say, listen to me, you're doing it wrong. You're like the Gentile who lords over them. Let me, let me just come to your neighborhood, open your door, and put my feet on your couch, man. Do you know why sometimes maybe your wife may not submit to you? So we use this scripture a lot. And we've used it and abused it to lord over people. Even the idea for some of you when I say, hey, husbands, sub submit to your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands out of reverence for Christ. That the wife is supposed to submit to the husband. He is the head of the household. Do you know we've got a problem with that? Because submission has been abused. It's been, it's been authoritarian. It's I'm in charge of you. I get to make the call. I'm the man. But if you look at the life of Jesus, that's not how he led. He never lorded it over people. He always served them. And see, this idea of submission comes from like the picture of a submarine. Submission means to come underneath a mission. And so here's the question, men. Do you have a mission worth coming under? That if you want to lead, then you better serve. To love your spouse, to love your wife the way Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's what it means to be a servant leader. Wives, it's what it looks like to serve, to give your life to, to support, to respect, to cherish your spouse. To serve them isn't a beneath thing. It's not an equality thing. That we were all created in Christ Jesus. That God uniquely designed each of us differently but equal. But he has created this relationship that is a picture of himself and the church. So that we can understand that Jesus didn't come to lord his authority over us and make us robots. He came so that he could serve us and show us what love really is. Amen. So it's this idea of leading is serving and that you are positioned on purpose. And the world's way says that if you ain't first, you're last. 
but the kingdom culture that Jesus is establishing is that the last will be first. And see, here, here's the heart of serving. I don't want you to miss this. It's in what Jesus said in the next verse. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life away as a ransom for many. This is the gospel. And sometimes when we hear the word gospel, you may go, I've heard the word gospel. I don't really know what that means. What do you mean that this is the gospel? See, the gospel means good news. It's the proclamation of good news, not okay news, not semi-okay news, not just like I like that kind of news, I like the way it feels news, good news. And it's the news that Jesus Christ leaves heaven out of love for you and me, becomes a man, dies on the cross in your place and for your sin. But what you and I typically don't understand and realize is that Jesus didn't just die for you, he died instead of you. That he took your place. It's this picture of what it means to serve that he gave his life as a ransom. He redeemed, he bought you back from the slavery of sin. And took your place, died the death that you should have died. Instead of you, it was on him. So when he talks about, can you drink the cup of suffering? Can you absorb the wrath of God? The truth is, is you can't. But Jesus can. And that's why he redeems us. That's why he buys us back. Because of his love for you and his love for me. That this is the heart of a servant. That he took our place. So that you and I, we can take other people's. So that when you drop your kids off at this church, there's somebody that goes, hey, I'm going to stand in your place for you. I'm going to watch your kids act all crazy so you can go upstairs and hear a word and maybe God will change your life. In your place. It's the heart of a servant. It's Jesus says, hey, I'm going to give my life to you. And the question is, is will you give your life to me and to other people? Will you believe that you were created on purpose and for a purpose. And the third one is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. That you were created to serve. That you were created to serve. See, you need to understand something. Serving isn't just about you doing something. That's what we think. We think that serving is about what we do. Serving isn't just about what you do. Serving is a reflection of who you are. That's why we say servant leadership is our identity. Why? Because Jesus says, I am the suffering servant. And if you are in Christ and and I am in you, you are a servant. That's who you are. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we're 8 and 9 through 10. It says that we're saved by grace through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Get that. That God lavishes you in his grace. That he he pardons you. He, he, He replaces your sin and takes it on for himself so that you might become the righteousness of God. So he he gives you this free gift of grace, and here's why. Not by works, so that no one can boast. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But for we are God's handiwork, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You were created to serve. That God actually wants to do something in and through your life, that he wants to do something new in and through your life. That's the heart of this church. So we named it Renovation. Because so many of us feel like the church is becoming relevant in our life. We feel like we don't know our purpose. We don't know how to make a difference. We feel like we're like a rat in a treadmill just getting every day by and by and by and by. And we think that like our lives are pointless. 
And what we came to tell you is that, listen, God wants to do something new in and through your life. And so serving, servant leadership is this idea of us serving and loving other people because Jesus served and loved us. You know, and as I told you the story earlier about me being in the parking lot, um, I would be missing it if I didn't share this one with you. See, what some of you don't know is that this, um, this building we have right now, this, this room, this, this space that we call Renovation Church, the seats that you're in. Well, um, this used to be another church called Servant Church. And what some of you don't know is that there's a guy um, outside right now that welcomes you in today into the parking lot. And a lot of you have no idea who that guy is. But I want to introduce you to him. His name is Pastor Steve Briggins. And Pastor Steve stood exactly where I'm standing on this stage for 30 years and pastored people. And where I started out in ministry, where God taught me what it meant to be a pastor in the parking lot. Now you have a pastor after 30 years that has a heart of serving that says, do you know how I'm going to spend my retirement? Do you know how I'm going to spend my last days as a pastor? I'm going to go into the parking lot. Isn't that powerful? Like I gave him every, I, whatever you want to do, man. Like wherever you want to serve, he said, I want to serve in the parking lot. And I've had people go, how are you dealing with this, Steve? Why would you do that? Why would you serve in the parking lot? He says, because I'm living a dream right now. That for years of my life, this church was never about this church. It was about the community. And every single week now, I get to get out here and I get to smile and wave people in the parking lot, knowing that they're going to meet God and their life could be changed. That that's the dream. It's never been about a building. It's this picture of serving, of saying, this isn't about me. I was created for more. that every gift that has been given to you is significant. And the question is, is how are you using your gift? How are you using your influence? It's the heart of a servant. It's the heart of a guy named Brandon Ward who's been running our slides today. Who, during the process of renovating this building, would leave work on his lunch break, skip his lunch, come here and patch holes in the ceiling who would come here and paint walls, who would come here and run electric, who would come here and, and rip up carpet, who was here till 2 a.m. before a preview service, hanging this projector right here to get it down to the exact inch it needed to be. And you would never know who he is. Why? Because it ain't about him. He says, I get to do this. And I go, Brandon, why would you do it? He says, it's just who I am and what I do. It's a woman named Courtney Woosley who I gave the opportunity today to take this mic and come up and host as, as Tony did. So that be on a platform where you would know her and you would see her and, and you would feel like, man, that, that woman must be important. She, she has authority. And when I ask her to do it, she's like, I'm happy to do it. But here's the thing. I committed to serving kids. I committed to hold someone's baby. And here's the deal. Until we have enough people and kids, I don't need the platform. I'm doing what God has called me to do. And I'm gonna hold some babies so that other people can come in here and they can experience Jesus. That's the servant. The servant is an 11-year-old boy named Colton who for months sat in this room with his mom and with his family, with a bunch of adults talking about what it means to start a church. It wasn't fun. We were business. 
We were talking about creating culture. We were talking about values. We weren't talking about anything that interested him. But at 11 years old, he realized that this church ain't about him. That he was created for more. He wasn't just created to consume. He was created to contribute. That's why right before this service and right after this service, he'll be back downstairs serving kids because he knows he has influence and he's using it to love and show the younger generation who Jesus is. Come on, somebody. You got to make some noise for him. It's, it's a girl named Angel who, when we took out a window, thought we had the glass in and we didn't. And on our launch Sunday, there's this big, ugly piece of plywood covering, covering our window up. And she says, hey, let's get some black construction paper. I know how to draw really well, so why don't we take some construction paper and use my gift, and I'm just going to write welcome. So that when people walk in, they don't feel like it's cold. They feel like it's warm. Her gift isn't about her. It's about using your gift for God's glory. There's no second-class callings. It's, it's a man named Trent Williams who is an insurance agent in downtown Nashville who has two kids and a wife, has a busy schedule. But every single week, he takes the time to plan and prepare a message that kindergartners through fifth graders can hear and understand and be interactive so that they can come to know Jesus. Like that's who you're in the room with. People who just don't say like, hey, I have to do this, but I get to do this. That is who I am, it's what I do. That, that servant leadership is my identity and it's what God has called me to do. Because he took my place on the cross, I'm gonna serve and love the way I was served and loved. And so today's just real simple. I'm not here to manipulate you. I'm not here to get in your feels or emotionally cause you to make decisions. But here's what I would just say, and I'm just going to say it straight, not because this is Cody's opinion, but it's because what the Scripture teaches, that if you are in Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, you are called to deny yourself, not promote yourself. That he has called you to serve. And so my question is, whether it's in this church or another one, where are you serving? That God has called you to serve and to give your life away as he gave you his. And so today, maybe your next step, is to join a team, is to serve. Maybe it's to call this church home. And if it's not, I've said this before, we don't compete with other churches, y'all. We're on the same team. We ain't fighting about stuff that don't matter. I just want people to know Jesus. I want people to find community. I want people to discover their purpose because I believe that God wants to do something new in and through your life. I believe he wants to make a difference through you. And so like, I don't care where you call church home. But don't go through a life alone, isolated. Don't go through life with a gift that God has given you and using it and consuming it for you. You were created more for more than just yourself. And something happens inside of you when you decide to use your influence for other people. God begins to change your heart. You begin to figure out what your purpose is in life. And so where are you going to serve? Today, some of you need to join a team. And some of you are refusing to serve because church has been all about consuming. It's been about coming in and seeing what I can get. And what God has called you to do, Christian, is that you are called to give. To give your time. To give your talent. To give your treasure. Why? Not because you have to. Not because we need it. But because you get to. Because God shows you in the middle of your sin 
to, to save you and to then use you to help other people find him. We get to do this. So we don't apologize by saying, listen, if you're part of our church, we expect you to serve because God does. We expect you to give. Why? Because God, God says to. Because he gave to you. Every good and perfect gift comes from above to be used by him, for him, and for his kingdom. Maybe today it's the first time you've heard the gospel that Jesus died for you and took your place on the cross for your sin. So maybe today's the day you decide, you know what, I'm going to stop living for myself. I've tried it. It's exhausting and it doesn't work. That I believe that I can't work my way to heaven, but I didn't have to because God came down from heaven to me. And you need to surrender your life to Jesus. But whatever your next step is, I would love to pray for you. I would encourage you that the card Tony talked about in the front with next steps, like I would just encourage you, like fill that out. I'm not signing you up for life. Like we value your gift. We don't just fill gaps, all right? Like if you're not like a kid's person, hey, I get it. I got one at home, okay? But that, that, like just because you sign up, we're not just gonna throw you somewhere because we got a need there. That's why we have something that we're gonna be, we call growth track that's launching in December where we actually give you a spiritual gifts test. We actually provide for you a disc profile test. Why? Because we want you to use the gifts God's given you. We don't need you to fill gaps. We need you to use your gift so that people can come to know Jesus. Amen? Can I pray for you? Father, thank you for today. God, we thank you for the life change that's happening in this room. God, we thank you that you saw us in our sin, loved us in our sin, and saved us from our sin. That you, you served us, that you didn't come to be served, but to serve. And so, God, I pray you would change our heart. God, that you would give us the heart of a servant. God, that we would love people the way you loved and serve them the way you serve. We would submit our lives to you. And so, God, I just, I pray for the people in this room today that are going to jump in and they're going to serve. And, God, I just hope and pray that they know how appreciated they are and the difference they can make in their life. And I pray for those today who are deciding to follow Jesus for the first time. That are saying, I surrender all to you. God, we love you. We worship you because you are good. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Hey, will you stand with us and sing? Thank you so much for listening to the message today. I hope it encouraged you. We would love the opportunity to pray for you send an email to info at renovation.church. And if you would like to partner with us financially and help us reach people with the message of Jesus, you can do so at renovation.church slash give. Have a great day.